0: Welcome to Non-Gendered Fitness, where we explore health, fitness, transitioning, and queer life from beyond the binary. Proudly
1: brought to you by Fearless Movement Collective, the home of queer fitness and health. And here's your host, Bowie
0: Stover. Hi there, welcome to Non-Gendered Fitness. This is episode 43. My name is Bowie Stover. My pronouns are they, them, and I am stoked to have you join me. This show is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Curlin Nation. Sovereignty never was and never will be ceded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode, friends, I am talking to a super amazing human named Kai, Kai Hayward. Kai's a pal of mine. He is a lived experience LGBTI disability advocate and consultant from geelong he has over eight years experience as an activist in these areas with a specialty in housing and the health system kai is passionate about defending basic human rights that we all deserve within society and he's particularly passionate about disability lgbt iq plus issues health social justice and politics Kai has lived experience with these issues and vast knowledge with the models of disability, various policies and relevant legislation and services to help in these areas. I'm so excited for you to hear the conversation we had and I really hope you enjoy it. Hi Kai, thanks for joining me today. No worries, thanks for having me. You are most welcome. So great to be able to have a chat with you. Can you share a little about yourself, the things you like to do and, yes, with our audience?
1: Sure. So I'm Kai. Uh, I grew up in Ballarat. I'm now living in Geelong. I have been living in Geelong for over, since 2007. So how long is that now? Nearly 15 or so years, probably more. I'm a lived experience consultant I- educating about disability and LGBTI issues. I go around to things like schools, disability services, NDIS, uh, universities, so on and so forth, educating the public about these issues, how to cater for our own, for, for our demographics, and yeah, just help. I guess the community create better inclusion for not only the wider LGBTI community, but also specifically those with disability living within the community as well as where often an overlooked sliver of of the the rainbow community as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's, it's a big job, hey? <laughs> yeah, it's so great. It's it's really inspiring that you're able to have the capacity to get out there and, and kind of have those conversations and stuff like that, because so many people just lack that awareness. Exactly. And I think
1: it's very important, particularly when you're regarding things like disability services, like NDIS, it's important that people like myself actually go out there and discuss you know things about the community what we need while sharing our own experiences as well because for for us that means we can access our uh, our services our funding our whatever safely without any fear of harm without any fear of discrimination and without any fear, I guess, of having to overly, you know, be be the educator all the time. I mean, there is a role for us to educate our service providers, but to have to do it all the time is quite laborious. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, people like myself, thats that's where people like myself come in educate people like the NDIS and service providers on things like diversity, etiquette, all that sort of stuff, so that um, you know, the, the service providers and workers can actually, you know, learn and do the research for themselves before before engaging with our our demographic. So
0: Yeah. Wow, it's and it's it's challenging because so much of this stuff is common sense. Like when it comes to inclusion, it seems it always comes across as this overcomplicated issue, but really it's not hard if you just take that moment to think and be like, how would it be the respectful way to talk to someone? Maybe I'll do that. <laughs>
1: exactly. exactly. And this is particularly important when it comes to things like disability and mental health services because there is still, I mean, that. As I've discussed in other interviews, there is often assumptions that are made around disability, sexuality, gender identity and and the like. First and foremost is that people with disabilities are non-sexual beings or completely out of control, (laughs) which... (laughs) No, so, neither, so, are the so like yeah. neither are the caves. Um, <laughs> and conversely as well, on top of that, that we're incapable of having, you know, loving, meaningful relationships. However, those relationships take place, whether yeah. they be with one or more partners or casual or Friendships, or what, what, whatever that means for the person. Yeah, but also the main assumption around people with disabilities too is that we're all cisgender, and that we're mm. all straight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Case in point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Case in point, and this often leads to service provision that is very um, narrow-minded, very ignorant of a person's specific needs around these issues, which particularly for our demographic impacts things like safely accessing services, being respected as, as we are within those services and funding provision as well. Um, having our identities respected and acknowledged as well and finding staff and support that is empathetic to our needs as well, which, you know, for my personal journey, I've been very lucky in that regard, but I know of many others that have been through the ringer trying to find not only age appropriate, but identity appropriate or LGBTI appropriate services or services that have adequate policies to enact enough safeguarding, I guess.
0: Yeah. It's such a big gap and it, it, that need for it to be highlighted is. And then not just highlighted but taken seriously, like these are legitimate experiences that people have. These are not once-offs. These are not, oh, well, you know, most of the time we're good. That's No, <laughs> this, no. this is across the board, right? No, like,
1: no. If we, you know, accessed a mainstream service and they had no clue about any of this stuff and started employing workers that potentially – had either homophobic, transphobic, racist, whatever views and viewpoints and started enacting that within their work, that would then become a huge safety issue. You know, again, like I'll bring up my experience. Like I not, uh, it was over about a year ago now, I moved out of aged care after living there for over seven years with long-term illness. So I've been in my beautiful little abode for over a year and a bit. But back when I was starting the journey with NDIS to get my specialist disability accommodation funding secured to get this place, I was searching a lot of properties, a lot of service providers, and my main concern was finding a support service because I knew I was going to need a lot of support work in the first few months of moving out, was finding a service that was going to be culturally sensitive, that was going to be respectful of my needs, that was actually going to assist me in all the, the transitions that were happening at the time and to guide me into my now- Proud self, yeah, and and considering back then too, so I was literally two months into my medical transition into testosterone, so all the changes <laughs> were starting to happen, and yeah, because of that, I was I was shit shit frightened for a number of reasons. So, um, but yeah, going forward. Into meeting the actual staff of the house, the actual original house manager for not only this house but a property out on Torquay Road was actually a member of the community, and I, I knew her well through another friend of mine who are both involved, quite involved with the Dikes on Bikes, and this the the house manager ensured that you know, she would employ staff that were either, you know, of from the community or very much strong allies of the community as well mm-hmm. and very, very stringent with that as well, very stringent with that and that gave me a lot of confidence and made me feel, feel a lot better about the whole process. Um, but also reassuring me, you know, if anyone messes up, Yours tell me straight away, and you know they get two chances, and if they stuff up again, they're gone. Which I I appreciated, I really appreciated. And the new house manager is pretty much the same as well. Amazing. A more more so a strong ally, but strong in the fact that very supportive of of my needs, and yeah, just allowing me to be myself, you know. Yeah. Now, now I'm just, <laughs> I'm basically treated by staff like I'm the man of the house, like, and that feels <laughs> so, that feels so freaking great. <laughs> like, yes.
0: That's awesome. I
1: had, I had people, you know, noticing when I was growing a little mini beard over early ISO, they're like, oh, you're starting to grow a bit of a beard, mate. looks good. <laughs> yeah. <And you> know, <laughs> those little things that are very affirming you know yeah yeah They they gave me the little things as well which has been awesome
0: yeah makes all the difference hey like it's it's never it's never always about huge big actions it's like that's that's like one part of it but there's so much like the fillers right you've got these big actions that you can take and then all that those filler steps in between that that and that's where the big difference is
1: Oh, big time, big time, yeah. and you know the the ability to be able to have a laugh with not only my support staff but also people, uh, you know, I suppose you could call them ancillary supports. Um, yeah. You know, things like my occupational therapy, my physiotherapy, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I actually had to employ a new occupational therapist quite a while ago because my previous one just. Didn't. She was very exclusive of disability and sexuality <laughs> um, mm. and didn't so you know, Saw a, a single bed for me as a necessity. Um, but yeah, my, but my new occupational therapist, along with all of my other supports, you know, they're very inclusive of those aspects of my life as well and I can have a not only a mature discussion about that and my needs around those sort of stuff but also it's I've also got people that I can because I mean especially over the course of this year I've needed a good laugh I think everybody's needed Mm, a good laugh (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah and you know there's certain little aspects that because, you know, my, my brand of sexuality is not especially of the vanilla kind. Again, another assumption about people with disabilities and sexuality is that we're all vanilla. No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no. And being able to joke with not only my OT but my support workers about that sort of stuff
0: has yes. <laughs> been
1: amazing yeah and so I'm great kind of offended and like oh you do that <laughs> you know yeah.
0: let me sit yeah. you down and educate your yeah, friend yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. i have sex yeah shocking no
1: oh my god oh my god, oh my god. that's just yeah. scandal
0: scandal no. <laughs> yeah what a I, I can't imagine because, like, as an able-bodied person, it's just not an experience that you have. Like, these these certain assumptions in that way just never put onto you. It's like trying to understand where people would even get these ideas from. Like, obviously, it's a systemic issue that at some point along the way, you know, people have gone, well, you know, maybe way back in the day before there were much better support options available for people who had disabilities. They were limited, not that they weren't sexual people, not that they weren't from the, uh, you know, the LGBTQA plus community, but that they didn't have access to it. So they weren't seen as, you know, the as in within these specific demographics. Yeah, and I can,
1: you know, remember... Back in the day, you know, when I was growing up, I often heard of you know disability service providers and often housing staff by those 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 uh, service providers they had very narrow views around sexuality and disability. You know, they didn't allow yeah. things like sex workers to come to to housing to you know come see clients or Mm -hmm. even when it came to relationships, you know, that was not helped to be facilitated at all. Whereas nowadays, complete 360, complete complete 360, you know, as I said, you know, when I discuss with my support workers and my OT around these issues, we just have a damn good old laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. I mean, it's so great. We take it seriously because there are some serious issues around it, but there are some issues that we can just have a damn good laugh over. And in a year like this one, all of that shit's welcome.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Have you found, like, obviously having support workers and, um, you know, all these other networks available to you that are so affirming with your experience in, in all the intersectionalities of your experience, how have you found that that's kind of supported you, particularly through your transition? Like when you you said you had only started tea when you were still living in an aged care facility. I imagine, but contrasting yeah. between that and now, like that experience must be quite different.
1: Yeah. So, like starting that whole process for me was, um, well, even even just going through the the and i'm sure you you can kind of appreciate this to a point maybe as well but the kind of having the oh shit moment i've got to do mm-hmm. something about this mm. to you know the exploration you know having that time period of where i don't know what the fuck's going on yeah. i need to figure out myself i need to go after a shrink and figure out myself mm. to actually making the solid decision for yourself that okay this is who I am and this is what I need to do about it to feel better about myself but yeah like even just going through the journey of discovery I mean I, I actually had an interview that I did a couple of days ago that I was talking about this sort of stuff and I I like many of us folk you know we we can either have the experience of I've always known since da-da-da-da-da that I was da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for people like myself, for me it's been a slow journey of discovery of things over time. You know, I can remember trying to deny any aspect of all that sort of stuff as a kid mm. I knew that I was different yeah I can't say finish definitively that I knew that I was xyz I just knew that I was different yet I tried to deny that difference for as long as I can remember <laughs> but I think all my peers knew knew differently as well because <laughs> I used to be bullied about it
0: oh <laughs> so, that sucks yeah,
1: yeah. But, yeah, it was sort of later on in my late high school that I, and back in the early 2000s, all this stuff was barely talked about and I lived in Ballarat. So, like, yeah, you've got regional rural town versus early 2000s, which in Australia, that was still a fairly conservative time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: A very conservative Howard government who just wouldn't have a bar of any of it.
0: Mm, yeah, I know those small town kind of queer feels.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but particularly in the late nineties, early two thousands, none of this was barely talked about.
0: Openly no, anyway. not not at all. Nah. Particularly not in smaller kind of rural hubs and stuff like that. It was like it was it was the it was the whispered under the hand type thing, like and rumors was like, oh that person's a dyke, (laughs) you know, more more stuff like that than anything else.
1: Yeah, and you know, from as long as I can remember, probably early high school though, arguably was when I you know first started hearing about and. I mean, I, I had likings and crushes of, you know, the same gender when I was young and I, I recognise them as such now. I, I didn't want to recognise them as such back mm. then because yeah. it was pushed into me that that way of life is wrong and also, you know, being a, growing up as a person with a disability in a conservative time when there was even more conservative views around disability, at that particular mm-hmm. time point, as well, I was just doing what was expected of me. You know, yeah. Be, be the girl. Be a proud girl, and <laughs> be, be an inspiration. Yep.
0: Be brave and oh. put on a front for everyone. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm not laughing at you because like, it was it's that was my experience as well. It's just like be a lady. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I was never, I was never overly feminine, um, mm. but there were definitely stages in my teenagehood and early adulthood where I tried to hyperfeminize mm. to normalise, yeah, and fit in. But, yeah, that honestly in hindsight, and I reflected on this in the other interview as well, that led to a path of just utter self-destruction and just led me to the ill health that I had, you know, over eight, nine years ago, um, which led me into aged care and the journey that I went on with that as well. But, yeah, sort of, yeah, having the journey of, coming out as, you know, bisexual and then figuring out that my my attractions were more toward femininity and all that sort of stuff, I came to the conclusion Mm -hmm. that, okay, lesbian fits, okay, (laughs) lesbian doesn't fit. (laughs) And that was what led to the... I'm not a girl. I'm not a boy. What the fuck am I? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you know, I'm more masculine leaning, and yes, like my body hasn't developed in the way that I need it to, but I'm, mm. you know I'm, going, to down, I'm going to break down. But yeah, sort of the first person I kind of. Oh, people I sort of started discussing were, with, were close friends but when it came down to actually disclosing it to my then GP who was the the GP at the aged care facility who was obviously only skilled within aged care and um, uh. bariatric health when I sort of said all of this stuff to him and when I told him to write the letter and whatnot he was just kind of he wrote the letter in such a way that, and this is the exact wording he used, was Kiralee is confused about her gender.
0: Oh, yuck.
1: What is wrong with those words?
0: Oh, everything? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. What is
1: wrong with those words? Oh,
0: and that's, that's not isolated to GPs, hey, as well. that's It's such... It's such a scarily common, yeah, type of thing to have happen. Like, oh, it sucks so
1: hard. And then he referred me, and I, I, this psychologist was actually recommended me uh, to me from from local groups. I got a referral to a local uh, psychologist that was nearby, mm-hmm. but I found her to be very. I mean. When you're going on that process, they need to be fairly sharp on their questioning and, and mm. investigation anyway, to see you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, but I found this particular psychologist to be very intrusive, mm. and rudely so, and that just sent me into a, a barrage of no nah, fuck it, I don't want to I don't want to deal with any of this this crap no, put it aside. I had two sessions with her and then I decided, no, I'm putting it aside until my brain can actually recover from this. Yeah. (laughs) that was just, no. After all that sort of stuff, I actually got to a, a space where I was actually accepting of what was going on. I was starting at that point to define who I was while still being in that middle space. Um, so, you know, I conjured up the courage to, I think I, I first called Equinox, that's right, um, cause I was initially going to do the informed consent. Um, so I called up Equinox, I spoke with someone there whom I can't remember who that was now, um, who was lovely, but they were, they were chockers full at the time.
0: As they like, always are, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah it's Just it's everyone good.
0: listening Equinox is like a um a support service where people who are transgender diverse can kind of take those first steps towards affirming their transitions yeah. in whatever manner they choose to pursue it and yeah. get kind of that allied health support that's actually educated.
1: Yeah. I spoke with G- Gabe there, that's right.
0: Gabe gave
1: me some details of other practices that were both a mix of informed consent And the traditional method as well. So, you know, I was, I think I was given a mix of like four or five practices, you know, Northside, Paran Market, Mind. I think I actually chose to go with Paran Market Clinic, made an appointment with Sven um, Strecker, who is brilliant. I would definitely recommend him if anyone is wanting to start the process very understanding very blunt but very Mm -hmm. understanding and very kind very kind man but yeah like I called up and uh, made an appointment with him sort of made the trip down to Paran from Geelong Long trek and a huge
0: South Yarra station, (laughs) (laughs) all uphill, which killed your your arms. Have been cooked by the end of that. Yeah, my (laughs)
1: absolutely just oh man. So, had the appointment, and you know, as soon as I walk into the practice, the first thing I see is you know, LGBTI posters everywhere in nice. regards to health, sexual health, all that sort uh-huh. of stuff, human rights information. I walk up to the, the the desk and it's staffed by, you know, four gay men who were quite jovial and friendly and laughing and I was actually feeling nervous as hell and the fact that they just wanted to crack jokes and make make me laugh as well, I really appreciated. It just made me feel welcomed and safe straight away. And Mm -hmm. my nerves just slowly died down. Amazing. Before the actual appointment. Yeah. But, yeah, sort of had the appointment with Sven. Again, Sven was awesome, like, before, during the process of counseling Mm -hmm. and when I went to get the referral to the endocrinologist to get the script. Mm. And he then referred me on to a psychologist whom I actually still have, Jonathan Tandos, whom, again, I would recommend if anyone's after a good psychologist. But, yeah, I had, you know, up to and, – and Jonathan basically said to me, you know, whenever you're ready, just say the words and I'll I'll do the letter. And, you know, for me, it probably took me about seven sessions because admittedly, there was a lot of stuff that I needed to let go of, and I, I'm actually glad in hindsight that I didn't go through the tradition of uh, the informed consent. I would have had mm-hmm. a lot of regrets in hindsight, I think, because there yeah. was a lot of stuff, negative stuff, that I needed to let go of before I started. It was just you know hanging on for dear life.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, I let
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I had the six, seven sessions with him and gave him the go-ahead, mm-hmm. did the letter for for me. Um, I had to do the W path questionnaire. There's a certain questionnaire you have to answer in line with the report as well to, I suppose, help pro- prove to yeah. the doctor, endocrinologist, all the rest of it, and to fulfil Specific laws and WPATH policy, as well in prescribing hormone treatment. So yeah, basically after that, um, had another appointment with Sven, whereas I, I had all my bloods done, final assessment, all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Referred me off to an endocrinologist, which is, and I still go to him as well, um, Leo Rando at In Nidri. Again, highly recommend. All great yes. professionals. <laughs> <laughs> all great professionals. So good. So, yeah, I've got a really good health team behind me. Mm. Um, I've got a good health team behind me here in Geelong as well. Cardinia Health, Dr. Andrew Bevan is my main GP down here. And, yeah, Cardinia Health, I, I wouldn't fault at all in regards to any aspect of care.
0: That's amazing. Um,
1: so, yeah, it's it's really, really important to have that. A good health team behind you, and one that's going to be accepting of the process that you need to go on. You know,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But not only that, the for me the the important ancillary supports, which was my disability supports, they needed to be online with it as well. Because if they weren't, going back to the safety issue, that would impact mm. my safety greatly.
0: Yeah, for sure. Did you find that through any point any of your allied health specialists raised the, the question of your disability being something that could limit any of your transition or did you find that that was a barrier in any way for you?
1: I was actually really scared of that. It's known within certain parts of the disability community, uh, trans and gender diverse disability community, that some people are actually denied treatments and procedures based on the fact of their disability and or their assumed ability to be able to make sound decisions on their health care. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have been denied hormones, a lot of people have been denied top and or bottom surgery. You know, basically for many of us, Life-saving procedures. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all been denied to many, many of us based on sheer ableism. Yeah. And not only just general ableism but medical ableism as well, not being able to have that agency over our own body, not being able to have the doctors and medical professionals understand that we know – the pros and cons, the co- potential consequences, the potential benefits of whatever we need to do to our bodies, good or mm. bad, or whatever. A-, a dignity of risk, the ability to take that dignity of risk. Often the medical profession stifles that ability quite a lot. And it's it just comes down to sheer ableism and an issue of accessibility as well, big time.
0: Yeah, or, yeah.
1: Lack, or lack thereof.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and and it's not, it's not an issue that you necessarily hear a lot of people having the opportunity to share and talk about either. Like within the trans-neurodiverse you know, community when they talk about their transitions, whether it's medical or non-medical, so many people, able-bodied people who are, you know, they're sharing their experiences, which is great, and that does come with a, a level of policing and you know kind of gatekeeping already but to to just you just don't hear about the experiences of people with disabilities when they when it's time for them to transition at all like and I've you know I've spoke to so many people from the community over the last four years and Mm. it's just so uncommon
1: yeah yeah and
0: it's this also comes back to
1: the fact that you know people with disabilities within the queer community, we we make it up a small sliver of that community. And, and because of that, our specific needs as queer, transgender diverse people with disabilities are often overlooked, which for us on many levels leads yeah. to poor health and social outcomes. I mean, yeah. you, know, you already see high levels of, mental health, mental illness, high levels of homelessness or, you know, some level of displacement, Um, whether it be placed in some sort of social housing or or whatever it might be, economic issues, you know, poverty, job insecurity, all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff, substance abuse and, you know, the amount of our community that are subject to abuse Mm -hmm. and... Who, you know, have or have sadly lost their lives just just to the fact of being who they are. Like, yeah, exactly. It's shit. But you know, for the disability, the portion of the disability community that belong to the rainbow community, all of those issues are basically amplified by God knows what. And there's, I call it the domino effect. It's Mm -hmm. like one layer of intersectionality, you know, the stigma of disability, stigma of sexuality. You know, you Mm. might have gender um, stigma attached to that, you know, women with disability in particular. And then add sexuality and gender on top of that as well, Mm. on top of potentially other factors like culture, religion, many, many others. it's, It's compounding. It's just compounding. Yeah. It's like that constant domino effect. It, it just keeps crashing down. But in saying that, you know, health professionals nowadays, and this is why people like myself go out and do this sort of training as well, people who work with our demographic in particular actually need to have a sound understanding of intersectionality
0: mm, and how it person. Yeah.
1: And with our demographic, they need to have a specific knowledge of the issues that affect the rainbow community, but also how that can be amplified for people with disabilities within the community. Cuz often yeah. the issues are amplified by 10.
0: Yeah. What what do you think people could do whether they are just other members of the community, whether they are allied health professionals, what could be done better by people who are allies to support the needs and recognise the disparities between the, you know, access to support that transgender diverse or any person from the LGBTQIA plus community has that also lives with a disability? What could be done better by the community? I think first
1: and foremost, people need to be willing to educate themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've got people like me who go out and do education and whatnot, but, like, also if you're expecting every person with a disability to be willing to educate you all the time, especially yeah. if you're providing them with any form of service, then you're actually doing them a huge disservice. mm you're actually disempowering that person. So in order to empower the person with a disability who, you know, identifies as queer, trans, whatever, don't ask them about it. Mm -hmm. Go out and do the research yourself. Go out and do the diversity training yourself. Engage in diversity training. Encourage your workplaces to get Um, speakers or trainers in that specialize in rainbow diversity for particular groups and, you know, keep in touch with consultants like myself who can actually Mm. keep you up to date with current practices, current etiquette, but also support, I guess, any clientele that might be struggling. It's, It's almost like a a secondary support point, I guess, that I I sometimes offer as well. Um, I have, you know, um, support workers kind of messaging me saying, hey, I've got X, Y and Z client who's just come out as whatever and they are having trouble getting support within this environment. It's important they have a supportive environment, which... (laughs) In, especially in residential settings, I agree wholeheartedly because if you can't yeah know who you are, then you're screwed. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's the sort of stuff that I do and that's the sort of stuff that needs to happen. You know, people need to be willing to engage with outside people to yeah. help specify their services. So all needs are being encompassed and met.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I guess too like there's there's always things like the rainbow tick assessments, yeah, which you know cover most bases, but at the end of the day, for me anyway, from my and i'm I'm speaking now as a consumer of services for me, like it's great to see that an organization has the rainbow tick, but are they actually living those principles as well?
0: yes. That's right. So that you can get all that process and it can be quite tokenistic, hey? It's yeah. like slap a rainbow on it and a... all of a sudden. <laughs> it's just like
1: uh, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> like um, I did an interview with um, Jackie Pillar. It was a very humorous, upbeat kind of interview, had a few laughs and whatnot. In one section we talk about lived experience and how undervalued that is Mm. and um, a lot of the time I've had people with qualifications and 10, 20, 30, whatever years of experience say to me, you don't have a piece of paper so or, or inferring that you don't have a piece of paper so your lived experience isn't worth much. It's like,
0: oh. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I have
1: oh my gosh! I'm 33 years up on your 10, 20, 30 years of experience in the disability, mental health, whatever. Mm. So, um, sit the fuck down, Bucko.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Oh. It's people who think because they've read about something, it's like, I know, I read it in a book. It's like, that's really great. Like yeah. you've read things. High five. Well done. You're
1: certifiably something. Well done.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's like lived experience is everything. Like there's, there's knowledge that you can learn about in a book and there's knowledge that you can only gain from living it. Yeah. And that's that's so much more of value and of importance than anything that could ever be conveyed third person through something that's read. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and <laughs> you know, I think too, like, in terms of that sort of stuff, like in terms of what providers, in terms of what the community, community can do, that, that's another point I'm going to make as well, and I'm going to make this quite bluntly. Uh, as a bit of a, I guess, a warning (laughs) to any providers or anybody that wants to employ on any basis people with a disability to inform practices, to speak on panels, to whatever it is, you guys need to value our lived experience a lot better than what you currently do. (laughs) Mm. Paying us peanuts for sharing mm-hmm. our own lived experience is no longer acceptable. Yeah. Um, I personally now have a set fee for sharing my lived experience on panels. People mm. don't like that. I don't give a crap. Yeah. <laughs> yes. oh, but we can't afford that. We're... Oh. I don't care. <laughs> I need to live. We're living in COVID times.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, and that's that's it. Hey, it's like oh no, we care about inclusion. We care about this. We really want to hear about. Oh, what? No, we only want to hear about it if it's free. Yeah, we actually have to invest in your knowledge. No, nah, no, thank oh, you. Oh, like that's.
1: Or, ah, oh, but, oh, but we have this budget, and we have. vouchers oh. all we have.
0: Coal's about the worst. That's the worst yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, we can pay you and give yeah. vouchers. It's just like,
1: no, oh, yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: I mean, I will accept poll vouchers for some things and, like, there is, you know, people I will happily work for and, you know, there was, there is only a mere few of those and one organisation whom I trust with my wife that I will work for for free. Mm. That particular organisation, I consider them like family. So uh, yeah. every, everybody else, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fair call. <laughs> totally fair call. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for, for chatting with me today, Kai. It's been really great.
1: Oh, Likewise. Good to catch up too.
0: Yes, it's been awesome. If people wanted to get in contact with you or um, like follow you on social media, anything, where could they find you?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I've got a um, Facebook page, Kai Hayward Consulting. Just search it on Facebook or Google yep. or something. Find me on there. Um, and send me an email. The email is still under my old name, so it's currently at gmail.com, Or you can phone me on 0484-112-850. I'm happy to provide any speaking services, any consults, any mentorship as well. I have I have I do have set fees for that. But um, if you're willing to meet those costs or negotiate a reasonable, in equal to the
0: fee that I charge,
1: <laughs> I'm happy to to work with you.
0: Amazing! You are definitely worth it, Kai.
1: Absolutely. Well, I hope so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for listening, friends. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to learn more about anything that Kai has spoken about today, you can find those details in our show notes on our website at www.fearlessmovement.co. If you want to get in contact with Kai, you can reach out to him on Facebook through Kai Haywood Consulting. Or you can email him at kiraleedhaywood at gmail. Dot .com Until the next week friends have a rad ass day